Arthrex has been helping surgeons treat their patients better for more than 40 years. Differentiate your practice by offering the nano experience, which combines patient comfort with leading-edge, extremely minimal invasive technology. Arthrex nanoarthroscopy scopes and instrumentation are ideal for small joint access and visualization across the body. Deeply committed to surgeon support and patient education, Arthrex has also introduced the nanoexperience.com, patient resource illustrating the scientific benefits of nanoarthroscopy, detailing a wide variety of applications, and directing patients to surgeons in their area. Visit nano.arthrex.com to learn more about enhancing your practice and providing optimal patient outcome with this game-changing technology. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Nail the Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, which you are now tuned into our financial review series, which is kind of our finance series, because uh, we started, again, with just clinical orthopedics, but we want everybody to be well-rounded. We want you to be well-rounded uh, financially as well. So this is an overall educational podcast. We're going to educate you on finances. In our last episode, we talked a little bit about the physician's loan. We kind of did a great overview. And now we're going to go a little bit into more detail with Neil Surgener, a little bit more about Neil. He was actually a successful financial advisor in New York with one of the biggest investment firms in the country. He became a mortgage lender around 23 years ago and has since become a successful top partner throughout his career. He is one of the top physician specialists in the country and is known for always being accessible to help navigate you through the process of the physician's loan and everything about it. As an expert and certified in helping physicians and dentists, he can answer any question and since he does all conventional loans and FHA loans as well, he's able to talk about all different types of products. So in this episode, again, we dive a little bit deeper into what exactly a physician's loan is, how it works, pros and cons to it. And, you know, if, if you have student loans, can you get a doctor's loans and credit scores? So again, we try to get into the nitty gritty. That way you can leave with all of your questions answered and you will be prepared to use a physician's loan if you want to in your own personal life. Again, this is not a financial advice podcast. This is just a educational podcast. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Welcome to the Nailed It Ortho podcast. So happy to have you on and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Wendell. Super, super happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we finally got connected. It's been a little while, but we're finally able to, to sit down and, and talk for a little while and, and dive a little bit deeper into, you know, kind of this doctor's loan or physician's loan. And I know we're talking off beforehand and there are many different names for it, but these kind of this, this physician's loan. And and I figured what we could do is we will talk a little bit kind of more on on some of the little technical aspects about it that you may not think of when you think of the loan. And a lot of physicians or a lot of residents or, or physicians that are listening to this know of the loan and know that it can be used, but these may be some of the details that they didn't necessarily think about. And maybe one of the things we can just kind of start off with is ARM. This term is thrown around a lot and we have a lot of, you know, medical background people that listen to this that aren't necessarily on the financial side of things and don't even know what ARM is. So what is ARM and then does it make sense to use it when we're talking about the physician's loan? Well, I'm really glad you asked that. That's one of the first questions. Great question. So an ARM is an acronym for Adjustable Rate Mortgage. 
Often that immediately puts fear into people. Oh boy, I don't want something that's a dust all day. One, that's what my grandpa or my father said never to do, right? Mm-hmm. Completely the wrong thing is to. One thing I would say to physicians is don't Google diagnose yourself in the world of mortgages. And everyone laughs because they know exactly what I mean, because you're going to get a lot of misinformation, misunderstandings, friendly parents, uncles, and colleagues, and realtors that really shouldn't be advising and they should really advise in their area of expertise tend to give you a lot of wrong information and it could really lead you down the wrong road and eventually make wrong, you could make wrong decisions. So definitely consult with somebody like myself that's licensed and certified with physicians licensed to, to offer this counsel and advice. So arms adjustable rate mortgages, when anyone says to you they offer a 30-year fix or a five or seven or 10-year arm, typically all banks offer those same programs, okay? But 30-year fix is exactly how it sounds. 30 years, rate never changes. 30 years, the rate is the same. A five or seven or 10-year arm, the first number that we mentioned, five, seven, or 10, is the amount of years that the rate is fixed. That's not adjustable. So if I say a 10-year arm, it is also a 30-year mortgage, not a 10-year mortgage. Sometimes people misunderstand and think it's a 10-year fix. It, five, seven, and 10-year arm are all 30-year terms, all 30-year mortgages. It just allows for a lower rate because the rate is only fixed for five, seven, or 10 years. So let's speak about a 10-year arm. 30-year mortgage, rate's fixed for 10 years, and then it becomes adjustable. And every six months thereafter, year number 11 through year number 30, that rate can, might go up or down or might not change at all every six months. They just look at where things are and they basically adjust according to the market, kind of like a home equity loan or something, right? Why would you consider an arm? Great question, and I would really only offer guidance as to what product is best suited for somebody once I've really diagnosed their financial situation and their credits and debts and income. Why? Because one size doesn't fit all, okay? So I would encourage you that you cannot make that decision until you have all the data. A lot of people try to, unfortunately, you know, and I find doctors are obviously usually very intelligent, very thoughtful researchers by nature. And so one of the pros and cons is, you tend to do a lot of homework on your own, trying to figure things out before you talk to somebody else. Because mm-hmm. that's like what med school teaches you and, and internships and residency fellowship. And so one thing you want to do here is there's a lot of misunderstandings and misinformation. And I would encourage somebody to just have a 10-minute consultation with someone like myself. We can answer all questions accurately. So there's no misunderstandings from the get-go and decisions not made with bad information. One would t- pick an arm typically, not because they're gambling on rates going up or down in 11 years, some may. I would usually encourage somebody to consider it because I feel as though they may not be in this mortgage in 11 years. So what does it matter if rates adjust in 11 years? Let me give an example. I'm talking to someone that's a pediatrician or DPM, or I'm talking to a cardiothoracic surgeon or somebody with a, or an anesthesiologist. I kind of know the income I'm dealing with right off the bat. I know what someone's making the minute I know their specialty and what part of the country they're in and what year they're in. They tell me, I know. I immediately get a sense of the earnings. Is there a co-borrow or not? Maybe they're not on my loan, but there is other housing income. Then I see what their debt is currently. All right, student loan debt, if that if, if it applies, or whatever other debts they have, any other properties. And then I say to myself, what is this person going to be making over the next 10 years? And we obviously account for life and other expenses, and we kind of have a good sense of, hey, this person really, and if I've got an anesthesiologist starting out with a base of 425000 no productivity or bonus, and he's year one, and he's buying a $600,000 home, zero down, I'm not super concerned. 
even without any other income, assuming nothing extraordinary like boats and Ferraris, I assume that he's really not going to have that mortgage in 11 years. Why? Number one, an anesthesiologist, as an example, is, is really not going to be living in that $600,000 home in 11 years, more than likely. Of course, there's always an exception to the rule, right? Mm-hmm. But somebody making that type of income is going to make five, $6 million in the next 10 years, probably won't be still living in a $600,000 home in 10 years, right? Right now, it's a good move, getting out of the gate, first year attending, still living in that mental state of med school and training where you got to really be careful with financing. Right. Just used to the income, take some time to really be comfortable with it. Two, three, four, five years in, now you're practicing for five years, things feel a lot different than when you're first year attending, starting your job in July 1, right? And one, they probably will be in the loan, just, in, just because they're probably going to buy a bigger house. Number two, even if they stayed in the house, they would have the mortgage. Why would they have a $600,000 loan when they could pay it off in two, three years, right? In 11 years. And so in those situations, it's a good opportunity for that person to consider using a 10-year on because it's going to offer them a lower interest rate and they can pay less interest to the bank. Now, I wouldn't say the same thing if I had, I don't know, somebody in another specialty, maybe a pediatrician coming out making 180 to 240 a year. And they're buying a million dollar and they have a couple of car payments, no other income in the household, maybe a lot of my other debt. To, I'd say, hey, you know what? Maybe let's not them wor- let them worry about whether or not they're going to be getting out of that mortgage in 10 years, maybe a 30 or fix is a, it's a little comfortable loan for them. And ultimately, whatever advice I can give, if it's solicited, it ultimately comes down to you, the buyer, and, and what you're comfortable with. You know, if, if I worry today that I'm going to walk outside and get struck by lightning twice, in sunny weather, and I want to get insurance for that, that's important for me because it's keeping me awake at night. Somebody's probably going to sell me that insurance, but you know, to somebody else, and they may say, boy, that's probably a better use for that money, right? Because maybe that's just the, the likelihood of that happening is probably negligible. And so an arm and somebody making a certain amount of income, certain amount of debt, where they're going to be in 11 years, it's really is such an overwhelming, lump-sided decision that they probably just won't be in that mortgage or that house or that loan. That's when they would use an arm. But some people are just ultra, ultra, ultra conservative and maybe just are scared that one day ever the mortgage might change and can't see past that and they should go with the fix because that's going to help them sleep at night. If you're making, like for example, if a fixed amount of income, you say it's on the lower side of things, you would like to secure that and you, and you have a lot of debt and a lot of things that you're paying off. You kind of like to secure that rate, that fixed rate, whatever it may be at that time period, we know the mortgage rates have changed with time during like for example during COVID it was low now it's a little bit higher they would likely secure that rate that way you don't necessarily have to worry about whether or not if you hit that 10 years that the rates will increase and then you have all these other debts that you're trying to pay off and then this may kind of not be the best thing versus for example if you're making maybe a little bit more and you don't have as much debt and you're buying a house that's a little bit less or less expensive in, for example, 10 years, you may have already paid it off. Or you may have moved to some other location. So it may not, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this, you may not even be in that situation or in that, having that mortgage in those 10 years. Yeah, it said so well that I thought you were in the mortgage business for a minute. <laughs> no, perfectly explained. And, and basically, no one knows 100% anything, right? Yep. You're diagnosing a patient. Whatever your your data says about how people have progressed through their uh, course of action after their diagnosis, you don't know 100% either way either. And so we can only tell you what most people would do in that situation, what seems to make sense, the numbers make sense, and this is the better decision to make. And if it's 
51% or more that this is going to happen, that's probably a better decision than 49% that it isn't. You know, you try to make decisions with the amount of information you have, but you're exactly right. The main thing is you want somebody, if you feel like it's going to worry them in year number eight, seven, eight, nine, that, you know, that rate may go up, year number 11, it's probably not the right one. You know, don't worry about it. Go with a little higher rate, stick with the dirtier things. But those people that are making enough money that even if rates are going up and they're still in that $600,000 home, they made $5 million the last 10 years and keep putting their money elsewhere, then probably they don't need a 30 year fixed. And then some people will say, well, I'm going to keep this house as an investment. I don't want to pay it off. I'm going to keep, uh, what's the podcast with other physicians that I should buy this home and then keep it as a rental property. Then I'm going to buy another one and mm-hmm. I know the podcast, right? So <clears throat> also good moves, but likelihood is you just wouldn't have the mortgage anyway because you paid it off. And even if you keep that property and it is a mortgage, you can't keep that mortgage with a physician loan and buy another home with a physician loan without first refinancing that or doing something because you can't mm-hmm. multiply, you can't use physician loans one or another and have them simultaneously. So you would still either do so. I would refi that for you into a conventional loan. So there's no, it, all those reasons, you, you just wouldn't be at that loan. But yes. And so what is the, does this kind of all go into the pre-approval process? Like when you're trying to think of all the, mm-hmm. what loans or things you're going to get, or maybe you can talk to us about that pre-approval process. Yeah, that's the first step in a great question. So the pre-approval process, and, and this is where most people make the mistake, okay? Most people think, well, I'm going to get pre-approved once I've seen a house I like, right? You hear that, I'm sure yourself. I'm sure you hear that yourself. And the problem with that is it's called a pre-approval, not a post-approval. There's a reason. You should be looking in your wallet before you go to the mall to know if you have any money to spend. You should be looking at a pre-approval to see what do I qualify for Let's not just assume I qualified. Maybe you missed a $25 Macy's payment a month ago. You don't even know yet. All right. And your credit went down 80 points. It's really advisable. And I like to use analogies a lot, right? If you're going to go run a marathon at 25 miles before you start training for that, you probably want to get a physical checkup. Make sure that you're actually capable <laughs> of doing so. Why don't we do preventative medicine here, not just reacting, reacting to the current state of affairs? So get a pre approval before you even think about looking at a house. I like to say, don't even look at Zillow. If you haven't been pre-approved, number one, you want to make sure that you have the right expectations before you start looking at things, you fall in love with things, you're deciding in your head what you think is what you can afford based on what data. You think it's this rate, you think it's that rate, you think your payment's this, you might have forgotten that. Let a professional like myself look at your current situation, look at what your income is or what it's going to be with your new position, look at what your current debts are, and better explain to you where your payment's going to be so that you can decide once you have that data, am I comfortable as what I thought I was comfortable at when I, before I got on this call at 800000 to eight fifty is my price range? Or maybe when I'm done and you say, wow, I didn't realize the payment was that good. The rates were high and they went up so much and there was going to be much higher. And now you realize you're actually fine going up to a million, million one. And now you see out there searching for homes at eight to eight fifty, having a problem with low inventory and no homes not realizing that you could be searching 200 or higher because it's really not that impactful to your monthly expense. And you're like pleasantly surprised. So the pre-approval will not only show you that, yes, it will confirm what you think that you're actually good to go. Number two, it's going to help you find the price range that is comfortable for you from a financial aspect and it'll help you better define what you should be searching. for. It's going to help you really nail down what price range you should be looking at instead of you just kind of guesstimating or, or fearing too much what that number is going to be, or maybe fearing too little. Maybe you're over shopping and you need to 
bring down your expectations. We help you kind of figure that out together. And then number three, a real estate agent, a buyer's agent themselves really ought not to show your properties anyway without one because they don't know you qualified. Just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you're automatically qualified. And number two, the listing agent, should you find something, you need to be ready. Should you see something today? I'm sure you don't have to have looked already or be in real estate to, to have heard that it's very hard, that it's low inventory and you got to move quick, right? So when you see a property, it's kind of like dating. I like to tell people, you can't plan the minute you meet your partner, right? Sometimes it kind of happens without you planning it, right? More properties can be the same way. You think you want to look for a house and it happens quicker than you think or slower than you think. You just kind of got to be ready. You don't want to be suddenly Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. I just saw, I never thought I'd see it. I love this house. I'm mm-hmm. on it. I don't have any pre-approval. You're not qualified. And yet you're begging some loan officer at 9 p.m. on Sunday to go to his office and work on your file for, or for an hour and a half to see if you qualify and get you a letter, right? Because you want to make an offer. And the house, they're going to decide on that house at 8 p.m. Sunday or 10 a.m. Monday. So be prepared. There's no cost. There's no commitment to get a pre-approval. It tells you how much you can afford. Shows you a, it gives you a letter stating that you can't afford it, so you can use it with your agent and listing agents and make offers, and gives you a better comfort comfort as to you're shopping the right price range. And then comes the question next: I'm going to beat you to the punch. What about my credit? That's exactly what I was going to ask. I, know, I got you window. <laughs> I can see your eyes. I said he's going to hit me with it. So, it's like saying, "Boy, I don't know what I should use as an example where you need blood work done, right? But there's certain things you got to get blood work and." Whether you like it or not, you're only going to know if you take the blood work. And so getting somebody pre-approved, a bank is not going to tell you that, yes, here's a letter saying I can lend you a million bucks or 400000 whatever. And I say, look at your credit. We got to look at your credit and see if you pay your bills, right? If you had a good history of that. There's some aggressive loan, no money down, no mortgage insurance, any mortgage. They need to do that anyway. It's not going to hurt your credit. It's a temporary look. It's, we're not giving you a car today. You're not getting a new credit card with a $20,000 limit. It's just a mortgage bank looking at it to see, does everything look kind of coach? Everything looks kind of good. And maybe it's a point or two, and it's a month or two temporary that, that it might be gone. There's no real understanding from the credit bureaus of the exact impact, but it's pretty new. And it's going to come back. It's like a medical procedure where you got to do it for a checkup, and it's going to be fine in a day or two, but it's necessary, and you feel better afterwards, right? So- it's a necessary thing to do. And so don't worry so much about credit that you do the wrong things. Okay. Yeah. It's like me not wanting to go to the doctor because I'm worried about my deductible. Okay. I got some chest pains and some my lower left arm, but you know, I don't want to pay the 50 bucks. I'm going to give it a couple of days. <laughs> right. Not not the um, thing to do for those that are listening. So don't worry about credit. Secondly, I already got a pay approval for my realtor recommended Joey. They said he's great. And Joey at ABC Mortgage gave me a pre approval. Do I really need another one? I don't want to hit my credit again. When you pull credit, the credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, all know when you're shopping for a mortgage. They see the type of inquiry it is. They know if it's a car, credit card you're applying for, or whatever. And they know that it's just for the purposes of shopping for a mortgage and that you're probably only going to talk to more than one person. There's no impact to your score for 45 days. That's the understanding I have. I believe it's still the same. So if you pull your credit with one lender, you kind of have 45 days. It's, it's really not going to impact you anyway if you check with me or check with somebody else. And it's probably a smart thing to do. Check with You don't have to check with 20 people, but check with one or two to make sure that you've done your due diligence. You feel like you got a good offer and things look kosher, right? And that's when I'm not even letting you ask the questions. I'm almost framing the question myself. I hope you don't mind. But yeah, go for it. Look at lenders, right? I feel that for me personally, 
in as I am in the later years of my life in mid fifties, I think that I make a decision with a, a lot of facets. Number one, I'm going to get fusion of my and my neck. I got neck surgery coming up in, in a month, right? So I'm looking at how long's my neurosurgeon been doing it? His reviews. What other people say about him? Not just what he says about himself. Where did he get his training? Do I like where he got his training? Do I feel good about it? And is this something he does? How many of the procedures does he do on a monthly or annual basis? And because he's cutting open my neck, I'm a little worried, right? And so I would say you should do the same with shopping for a lender. A lot of the problem and mistakes people make is all they do is call up. What's your rate? Rate, 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 rate. What's your rate? What's your rate? Nothing else. What about what's your rate? That's a great question, price. But what about what's your experience? How long have you been doing it? How are you reviewed by others? What other people say about you? Go on Zillow. Look at someone's reviews. You know, and who's the bank? Are they big? Are they local? Do I feel comfortable that they're a household name? They're a brand that I don't have to worry about. You know, when I buy from Amazon and Home Depot, I don't lose sleep that I'm going to have a problem returning something. I don't lose sleep that I'm going to have to, I'm going to get a hold of somebody. If I got a problem, I can go somewhere if I want to return it. If I buy from acb.com that has no address on their website, I've never heard of them. I'm going to lose sleep that I feel safe. When right. I, you don't know. Mail. Like it's, it's not a piece of garbage and I, and I, I want to return it. I can't even return it. Now they're charging me shipping and I'm like, what a waste of time, right? So are there some websites that people can find this information on? Like, you know, when you're looking well, up different banks or just Google. Yeah. And then what I'm saying is it's their realtors will recommend somebody because why? Because a realtor is going to recommend somebody under the premise that they're good or they're local to this and that. But really what's going on in my business is people that are small level lenders that are struggling because they have no more refinance business out there, courting and dating. And you know what I say dating, I mean, you know, taking their realtor friends in the neighborhood out for a happy hours at ball games and trying to win their confidence in business, right? And it's where they're going to be very careful. And so very against the rules of my business, but happens all day long. They pay for their marketing and postcards and split it or whatever. So they can kind of get that realtor feeling like they got to recommend them people by helping them pay for things and services. Mm-hmm. So you be careful when a realtor is pushing a lender. Listen, some realtors refer me because I do a great job, but that's all I do. I don't buy their business, right? So be careful if your realtor is pushing business too hard. You want to be careful and Especially if it's a person that, if you've never heard of ABC Mortgage, you should be on high alert, right? Not because there's anything wrong with ABC Mortgage, but you've never heard of them. You better research them to death, check out everything. You got to trust that you research the reviews of that person because you've got no other thing to fall back on. You're not going, there's no ABC Mortgage that you're going to go and fall back on when you have a problem and things change in the final hour and whatever. And research what 5, 10, 200 other people have said about that person on Zillow and their reviews. And if they don't have reviews, you should be again concerned, right? Because you got nothing to rely on. Whereas me, I'm a TD bank. I'm 95,000 employees here. I'm the sixth biggest bank in the world, right? I'm top 1% of the nation every year amongst all lenders. I'm top one, two, or three in the bank in the country for what I do. I'm like, I'm the top reviewed physician specialist inside of the country. Why? Only took 23 years to say that. Pretty easy. Only took night and day, seven days a week of not dropping the ball and asking my course to say that. Pretty easy. But I, I trust that that is something that I take pleasure in saying. I'm trying to earn your trust through experience, reviews, tenure of the business, and being with a brand that you know. I haven't met anyone yet that said, who's TD? Unless, of course, they're in Texas. We don't know. We're not in Texas, right? Anyway, I'm probably losing track of what question you want next. But yeah, get pre-approved. Don't worry about the credit so much. You've got to get pre-approved if you're comfortable. Be careful that you know the entity you're working with. Check out people. Look at their reviews. Research them. and And then drill down on not only just what's the rate, but what are their fees? What do they charge? TD Bank, I charge 950 bucks an underwriting charge and they could 
39 or $42 credit report fees, lower than anyone I'm aware of in the business, but do your research. But check what their fees are as well, and then check again. Are they local? They have a lot of tools and technology, and what's the reputation? Yeah, just to kind of summarize some of the big things you're saying is, it sounds like getting pre-approved is just the more efficient way of going about the process because you know exactly the amount that you're approved for. You know that you are pre-approved, and then you can tailor whatever properties you're looking for with that pre-approval amount, whether it's less than you thought it was going to be, whether it's more than you thought it was going to be. And every person can kind of tailor things to their their own situation. Credit doesn't necessarily matter when they're running your credit to get pre-approved because like I think you're saying around 45 days or so before anything gets updated, give or take. When you're trying to decide what bank that you or what lender you're going to go with, you need to go and do your research. Some of the things that you mentioned is what's the experience that they've had. Obviously, you talk about the rates, how long they've been doing these types of loans for, who is the bank, what is the brand, what are their reviews like, et cetera. And one of the things that you mentioned at the end, you mentioned underwriting fees, and you also mentioned some fees to kind of run the credit reports. What are some of the other costs? Because, you know, we always hear zero money down, zero money down. And then you're hoping that when you close that, when you go to sign the paper at the end, that you're paying zero dollars. But that's not the case. <laughs> you're paying, there's some fees that you may need to pay for different things. So what are some of the costs associated with finally using this loan and, and getting ready to close the house that may not necessarily be closing costs, but maybe costs that you need to close. Got it. Cool. Just to segue back to that credit thing you mentioned. So it's not that it doesn't have any impact to your credit for It's just that the first inquiry you have has maybe a small impact. And then there's a 45 day window again, for somebody else to validate on their own. That's my understanding that you have a 45 day window still to continue to get a couple more quotes without any mm. impact. Okay. Closing costs. So yes, we do, to use our product here as an example, we do zero down to a million dollars, zero down to a million dollars, 5% down. This is loan amounts, not purchase price. 5% down to $1.5 million and 10% down to $2 million. So that would be a 1.65 purchase. You're only putting 5% down, right? To 1.5 loan amount, $2.2 million purchase. You're putting 10% down, you got $2 million loan. No mortgage insurance rates are phenomenal. People often think, well, I don't need a physician loan. I've got down payment. I've got 20% down. Uh, my, my uncle says, or my real estate broker says, I can put 20% down. What do I need a physician loan for? Common misunderstanding is that there's some reason that you only use a, mis- a physician loan if you need it for zero down. Absolutely not. Product is a, a, a fantastic. I do all loans, conventional loans, jumbo loans, FHA loans, VA loans, you name it. I do all those. I'm TD Bank. I have every residential mortgage that I'm aware of. However, when you have a physician loan that you can take advantage of, if you're lucky enough to be a physician or earn that, I should say, then this program has no cost any different from any other program. Is really, or in my world, pretty easy to qualify for, right? Not harder. People think it's going to be harder to qualify for. Absolutely not. It's actually easier. And the rates currently are better than conventional loans. There's no charge like a BA loan or anything else. There's no points to bank. So, if, you know, there would be no reason why you wouldn't. I like to say it's like the ace in a deck of cards, right? I mean, you know, you've got regular loans and then maybe a VA loan is good because you can do 100%, but then you've got a big funding fee to use a VA loan unless you have a disability exemption. So that may be a jack and then a king and then an ace, the physician loan, you got a physician loan. Boy, guess what? You know, you beat your spouse that's a veteran, unfortunately, because the physician loan trumps pretty much trumps everything else. And got to be careful how I phrase it because I have to. Be, you use the correct, I'll make any guarantees or blankets. Mm-hmm. 
tell you, it'd be hard to beat a physician loan. So when you buy a home, having a zero down loan doesn't mean that you don't have expenses when you buy a home. It means that you're not putting any money down on that home, zero down. You're getting a loan for 100%. So you're buying all of it in 900000 you're, we're giving you a loan for 900000 Do you need money? Yeah, you need some money to pay for your whatever state you're in, the, the taxes, the you know uh, title expenses and fees. You got to run title reports and do tax searches and lien, make sure the property is being delivered free and clear to you. Us, we have a $950 underwriting charge and your credit report fees. So, you know, a little over, not even like a thousand bucks on bank origination fees. We're lower than most people I know of any. And then you've got your, so you've got your escrows and your title fees, which are the bigger numbers when you buy a home, title fees and all those legal charges, just kind of confirming everything is good for you to pass on the title to the home and that you're covered so that no one says five years from now that, wait a minute, on Mary also owned a piece of the home, we got a problem or there's a lien on it. And then the escrows, which is just simply a fancy word for a savings account that the bank helps you pay your property taxes and insurance. So, you know, as you know, when you buy a property, you have property taxes, right? And then you have insurance, whether it's homeowner's insurance or maybe it's a condo and you pay it away, but you have insurance to just protect you against loss of the property. And, and the bank pays that. The bank pays that for you. So they collect that each month. When you close on a home, you're going to have to put aside money because any property taxes, for instance, coming due within 60 days of your closing day is going to be coming due and the bank has yet to collect any payments, right? When you close all loan the month you're in, there's no mortgage payment. They just collect the interest in the closing costs for the month you're in, whether it's three days left or 29 days left. The following month, a mortgage accrues interest, like a credit, it doesn't get paid up front like a rent. So let's say you're closed in, we're now April. Let's say you're closed today. You won't have a payment for April because you're just getting interest for two weeks. May, you won't have a payment till June 1st. So the mortgage is at the end of the month. So when you pay your, your payment for June 1st, you're not actually paying for the month of June like you think you might be paying rent. You're paying for the month previous because it's accrued interest. Now you're paying on June 1st for what you owe already for May. So that being said, any taxes coming due for that house, say there's a property taxes or school taxes and next month in May, how are they going to get paid? And there's no mortgage payments even collected yet, no escrow collected or accrued. So the title company that you is coming from your end is going to make you bring to the closing table. There's $3,000 of school taxes coming due on May 5th. You got to bring it to the table because they're due on the house for the next six months or whatever. Who's going to pay them? You got to bring the money so the title company can send it to the the town or the, or the, you know, for the school taxes, whatever. And then you have escrow account where you set aside money well, the future property payments, are, uh, tax payments, and as an insurance. And so those amounts of money are your money. They're just sitting in an account for you. If you sold that home next month, you're getting your money back. It's just sitting there. It's called escrow money. But they've got to set it aside so that they have enough money to be able to make those payments for you on time and not be short. And so when you buy a home and someone calls and says, what are my closing costs going to be? Tough question to answer, right? I know what the bank fees are going to be. But I don't know what your escrow is going to be because no one knows that yet. Until you find that home, you get that home, even when you have the home, we won't know until your title company has researched when the taxes come due on that particular home. Are they once a year, the school taxes are 10 grand, or are they once every quarter? Now they're 2,500 every quarter, or are they twice a year? What are they, when do the town taxes, the school taxes, or the village taxes? When are you closing? Maybe that's not locked in yet. It's targeted on the contract, but. Until it's actually scheduled with the attorneys and loans clear to close, they don't actually formalize it. Until they know all those things, they really all come together about a week before closing, 10 days before closing, where they kind of 
figure those numbers out. Your title company figures them out. When the taxes come due, what did the seller pay? Can't check it six weeks before you're closing. Maybe the seller's going to pay another 4000 in taxes because they still live there, you know, three weeks from now. And then when they do the numbers now, they're not going to be right in a month and a half, right? So they got to do it last minute on purpose to make sure they're accurate as best as can be. So that number is really estimated. And be careful, all lenders are going to estimate very differently. Give you a lot of that. Some lenders that are trying to make the bottom line number, I don't like to say intentionally, but they might kind of estimate low because they can. Uh-huh. Anyone can estimate what they want on that. And they might estimate two or three months of taxes. And other lenders might be more conservative, like us. And we're going to say, we don't want to surprise you at the end. We don't know what they're going to be. It's nothing new with a bank. But we would rather you be prepared for the higher end of that range than the lower end. And then you're blindsided, right? You don't have enough money at the table. So we're more cautious like that. We're going to suggest that they could be as high as this, nine months of taxes, just to be more prepared. And we're better, at least hopeful, that we've estimated too high. So that we're safer. It's not an unpleasant surprise at the table. It's a pleasant surprise. And so we, we like to do that as a big veteran and jotted back. We like to be safe. People kind of move around that number. I don't want to say intentionally, but to make it look like, oh, people that don't know any better are going to think that lower number is a better lower book. Right. Oh, it's not. The bank fee is the only thing that's changing. All the other stuff going to be identical when you get to the table, no matter which lender. But the banks are estimating all over the place on that up front, some being really aggressive. Some being more conservative, and I would rather have somebody more conservative and say, let me prepare me for the worst and know I have enough money than somebody underestimating saying, well, I'm sorry, I don't control that. You need another five grand by next week. Yeah, I'm glad you explained that because the common misconception is that, again, you're not bringing any money to the table, but just like you said, there are other fees. You talked about the escrow. You talked about the property taxes, title fees, legal charges, underwriting. You know, you got to pay your homeowner's insurance. There's a lot of these different things that you need to pay. So you need to have money set aside, but not to put, for example, 20% down on a million dollar house. That's like $200,000. It's different, but you still need some money to set aside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And easy to talk to you because you, you bring back what I said. I, I love having this conversation. Thank you. It's not fees even when you say escrow and-, and, and Right. There's not even a fee. Yeah, it's not a cost. That's, you, that's what you're paying property taxes for the next six months on that house. Not really, it's not a closing cost, right? It's called a prepaid. When you have a zero down mortgage to a million, there is no other program that's going to do that for you. And then you're allowed to get, by the way, that closing costs and or escrow deposits and prepaids as a gift from anyone related to you. So that can be gifted to you when you, yeah, you don't even have to have it. If you have a family member, I don't have anyone like that, but if you have anyone wanting to gift it to you, and it's a wonderful thing. And keep in mind too, this is how we protect you, right? From that not figure this out on your own. Approval, I'm going to figure it out for you. I'm going to protect you. Say, yeah, you look good. Don't worry about it. You look great, but you made me put aside another five, eight grand over the next two months. Or maybe you're just not quite there yet. Let's revisit this in six months. I don't know. But we're going to kind of help you so you don't make those wrong decisions or misunderstand or don't realize what you can do or couldn't do. I like to say, don't try to be, I know mortgages may not seem like a brain surgery, but Please let somebody help you that's been doing it probably longer, that maybe knows some of the things you might be misinterpreting online, and let them tell you, again, through their seasoning and experience, how you look and if you have enough money so that you don't try to figure that out on your own, okay? And again, third-party websites. When I say check someone's reviews, the easiest third-party review to go to and say, hey, this is not controlled by anyone other than Zillow is Zillow. 
You can go to Zillow and you could look up lenders on Zillow, right? Reviews on Zillow and you can see what that lender's reviewed. If they have no reviews, I don't know what to tell you. If they have five reviews and they've been doing it 10 years, and eh, you know, it's five reviews. It's not a lot of um, comfort for me, right? And what do those reviews say? Reviews tend to be very honest. When it's a third party site like that, I don't control Zillow. I can't control what people say on those reviews. They make sure they're real reviews by customers that have actually closed the low with me. It's not my friend, Jimmy, doing me a favor, right? It's a real closed low review. And if they say go to Bad Valley, as he's old, I wanted a younger loan officer. And he talks too quick. <laughs> but, but they're going to be really honest and they're going to tell you truthfully what the experience was like yeah, and what worked for them and didn't work for them. And I think that, you know, it serves me well, obviously, because I know that I've reviewed well, right? I, I'm the highest reviewed person because I work hard to be that, but it is earned. It's earned because people say that about me, but I think that it works for me that you do use a venue that will tell you what was their experience. Did this guy actually give you what he promised up front when you got to the table? Those things are important. And one of the other things I wanted to ask you, I guess kind of kind of switching gears a little bit. And so say, you know, we've gotten this loan, we've closed on the house and we got this 10 years ago, but now it's during COVID and the interest rate commercials we're seeing are at an all time low. And we're getting letters in the mail saying that we should refinance. So, you know, refinancing in a, in a, with a physician's loan, is it, is it useful? Is it not useful? You know, just, I just had this quick and one, one other question before we wrap up in a couple minutes, but refinancing a physician's loan. Is it, should we do it? Should we not do it? What are your thoughts? Good question. And don't worry. We don't be quick. I've got till Sunday. We can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, refinancing, it simply is mathematical, right? I like to take things out of, it's not an emotional decision. It's not at all. It really comes down to doing the math. Great question. And if you wonder if it makes sense or not, simply call me or someone like me, right? Or we can run the numbers and say, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. It's going to save you X amount of money per month or over the term, or it doesn't make sense. It's going to cost you this much to do the refinance. Ah, probably I'd leave it alone and just stay as is. It doesn't seem really worth it enough to refinance. And yes, you can refinance. You can even refinance up to 100% equity in the whole. If you have a home that's worth 970000 and you want a loan for 970000 I can do that on refinance. So all you're really looking to do is seeing if you could lower the rate, right? If you're trying to take cash out of a home, that's called a cash out refi. Physician loans don't don't allow you to take cash out of a home because you're taking equity out. It's a bit more risky and it's not designed for that, to leverage the home for that. I can do cash out loans, of course, any other kind of program. I do all loans, but we wouldn't use a physician for cash out. So it'd be a rate and term refinance is called. Simply, you would only do that if you were switching from, I don't know, maybe you're in a seven-year arm or 10-year arm, as we talked about earlier, and you say to yourself, well... I've decided I'm going to spend the rest of my life here and I don't want to pay off this mortgage. So I'm just going to buy five more houses as investments. So I'm going to refinance from my seven-year arm now to a 30-year fixed, right? Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to go from 30-year fixed and you say to yourself, I could get a low rate. I'm not going to be, I've decided now that I'm comfortable. I could go with a seven or 10-year arm and get a low rate because I definitely won't be here that long. I feel much more comfortable than I won't be. And you refinance to that, maybe get a low rate. And so you would only refinance if it made, if there was a benefit to you. We were, I would only do it myself if there was a true benefit to you. Otherwise I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even do it myself. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't do it alone unless it makes sense for the customer financially. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. And, and another thing that you mentioned, you know, buying five other properties for investment properties, can the physician's loan be used for investment properties or how many times can you use the physician's loan? You can use a physician loan any amount of times you want with us. 
you just cannot own, you cannot have two physician loans simultaneously. So if you have one now, call me and we're going to buy a bigger home or move. I would like to help you refinance that one into another conventional loan or something else. And then we'll do a physician loan on your new one. And I'll do it like simultaneously. It's not a big deal. Or, but no, if you can't just keep like Monopoly, just having multiple <laughs> right. and putting no money down and suddenly you own six homes with no equity. I'd be too mm-hmm. So we only want you to use it for a primary home, firstly. Condo, single family homes or co-ops, all are okay. Likely you won't find a co-op that will be bought in cities like New York City with less than 15, 20% down, but we can do it if you want to do 100% refinancing or you find somebody that requires low down payment. But yes, we can do any single family homes, condos or co-ops. You cannot buy a multifamily with a physician loan and you cannot buy a second home or a vacation home with a physician loan because the idea is, is that we're giving you low to no money down low with no mortgage insurance, great rates. We just don't want you to use that for vacation homes and, and investment properties, right? It's a little more risky on those properties. And one of the things that that you mentioned or we're talking about using for investment property, I just lost my train of thought. I had a great question. And I, I just oh, okay. Yeah, no. So when you're refinancing and and you're refinancing like you mentioned to a conventional loan. Do you have to, when you do that, are you also coming with 20% down and paying that when you run your refinancing? For example, let's say you got this house, $200,000, $300,000 with the physician's loan. It's been a couple of years and you want to get it. You're going to move and you want to get to a to another place and use a physician's loan there. So you want to switch to a conventional loan where you're at now. Do you have to get 20% down of whatever the number is? And you have to bring that to the table like you're like you like you're starting from the jump. You know, I, I'm just curious. Yeah, for the for the uh, house that you're refining, right? right? So the house you're refinancing typically one you know usually isn't buying a home and then refinancing or moving off to eight months, right? Typically, it's a couple of years, a few years later. Yep, because right? it usually doesn't happen that this happens a year later. And usually, that means typically in the grand scheme of things that houses have have, have built some more equity, right? It could be that when you buy a home and you're trying to time the market because you're doing a flip or a rehab or you're just an investor, right? Then you try to you have to be worried that, oh, maybe house price is going to up or down in the next six months or one year. When you're buying a primary home, one shouldn't be trying to time the market. It's like saying, oh, I could have bought Apple stock at uh, 50 bucks. Now is it 90? Should I buy it now? Then you didn't buy it. It's 120. Then you don't buy it. It's 150. <laughs> when you what I own a primary home, you get in no matter what the market really, I, I like to say, because it's your primary home. You got probably tax benefits and was your home to create your own environment where not the landlords and you don't want to be subject to rent and be kicked out. And there's no bad time to buy a primary home, really, unless you just can't afford it. But when you are refining, sorry, back to your question, that, that home to move out of it, typically there's probably equity in it now. And mm-hmm. that just means you have 20% equity, still won't be any mortgage insurance anyway. If not, what's the size of the loan? I mean, we could do a loan with a lot less down payment anyway, and maybe there'll be some mortgage insurance. It's, it's really not a big deal. And we'll look at those options, right? No, you wouldn't have to bring 20% equity. It depends on the property price. If it was like a million, then you'd want to have equity. If it was like 500000 then you'd want to have 5% equity and you're going to pay some mortgage insurance. It kind of depends on the loan size as well. But I think okay. those are great questions where you couldn't really answer it in one answer. There's so many different variables. Maybe somebody thinking about that to rather call me so that I can actually look at their situation and give them definitive answers as to what's the best thing to do. It's just that that question's just too yeah, big. A, a large yeah, question. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, well, Neil, this has been great. You know, I I definitely learned a lot from speaking to you, especially about all the different things. We talked about arms. We talked about pre-approval process. We talked about how to to choose a bank. We talked about credit, closing costs or costs for closing. We talked about a lot of things. Now, for those that are listening to this and we want to kind of check you out and see see what you got going on, where can, how can people reach you and um, just see what you have going on? I really appreciate that. So I've had a cell phone number for, I don't know, as many years as I can remember. And I live by myself seven days a week. My cell phone number is 212-933-9900. So that's 212-933-9900. Call me, text me anytime. It's always on. If it's not, it's silent when I'm sleeping. So 7A till probably 12P or 1A, I'm up and Adam, just text me, call me anytime. My email is my full name at Gmail, so it's N-E-I-L period S-U-R-G-E-N-O-R at TD.com. Sure, there's a Gmail. I meant my bank email. So it's Neil period Surgeonor at TD.com. And my NMLS number, my license number is 372700, just to disclose that. NMLS number 372700. And I'm more than thrilled to assist anyone with any questions at any time. Please reach out. And I really appreciate the opportunity of speaking with you. Some really great questions and, and a lot of fun. Yep. Again, thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. Those that are listening, we hope you enjoyed it a lot. Please go and leave a review. Let us know how much you enjoyed this episode. Hit the subscribe button. And Neil, again, thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. We hope that you all enjoyed that episode. Again, we really got into the nitty gritty about the physician's loan. So hopefully we answered most things or most questions that you have and we hope that you all enjoyed it please go and leave a rating and leave a review and without further ado we will see you all next time expand your diagnostic and treatment offerings with the nano experience which combines the arthrex commitment to leading edge extremely minimally invasive technology with a patient focused treatment philosophy incorporating the latest imaging sensors led lighting image management and or integration with an intuitive tablet control arthrex nano needle scopes and instrumentation features high quality chip on tip image sensor technology that allows you to diagnose and treat a multitude of pathologies while providing your patients a customizable treatment experience furthermore arthrex provides an unparalleled certain support and resources, including the nanoexperience.com, a patient education website illustrating the features and benefits of nanoarthroscopy and directing patients to nearby surgeons. Learn more about how to incorporate the nanoexperience into your practice by visiting nano.arthrex.com.